Pastor Knox, we appreciate you, your friendship. Preaching has been great, brother. We're looking forward to what God has for us tonight. You come. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right, good evening. Enjoyed that good singing all week long. Someone said last evening that I had preached that message here before. If that was a rerun, I apologize. I did not want to come and and be uh, redundant, but maybe, just maybe, the Lord knew that that's something we need to hear more than once. I, I know there's some truths in the Bible. I could hear them every single day, and still, my heart still needs some help. But we'll, we'll do something this evening that I, I'm quite sure we've not talked about in these parts before. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10 and Ecclesiastes chapter 8. John chapter number 10 and Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. One passage in the Old Testament, the other in the New. And let me say by way of introduction, I have in my six decades on earth, oh, that sounds awful. (laughs) I have heard more sermons on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ than I could count. I have read so many books and so many pamphlets and and seen so many depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I don't I don't recall a one of those that did not show Jesus Christ dying as a man. And when we think of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we think of the pain, the suffering, the shedding of the blood, the beating, the bruising. Uh, we think of him crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and it, it is, it's not pleasant, but it's easy for us to think upon and to picture the man Christ Jesus dying upon the cross. But you know, that man was God manifest in the flesh. And Jesus Christ not only laid down his life as a sinless sacrifice to pay for your sins and for mine, he not only offered himself up without spot to God the Father, but on that cross, as Almighty God, he was conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And tonight I want you to consider with me the God side of Jesus Christ at Calvary the power side of Jesus Christ at Calvary. The Bible says in John chapter number 10 and verse number 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, without losing that verse, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8. There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. The Holy Bible says... Death and man. When when death meets man and man meets death, man has no power and death has all the power. Jesus Christ said, I am going to Jerusalem. 
I am going to put a, a cross upon my shoulder. I'm going to carry that cross up Golgotha's hill. I'm going to lay down my body on that cross and allow it to be nailed there. I'm going to have men stand that cross up for all the world to see. And then I will display my power over death. I will be the one in charge when we get to Calvary. Now, I'm, I'm not denying for a minute the rest of the scriptures with which we're very familiar. So please don't, don't try, think I'm trying to be controversial. I'm not. But I'm telling you, Romans may have played a part in fulfilling prophecy, but the Roman Empire did not kill Jesus Christ. Jews may have played a part in fulfilling prophecy, but scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees combined did not kill Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. But it is not scripturally correct to say that my sin put Jesus Christ to death. Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life. And I will, by my choice, when I am ready, exercise my power to lay down my life. And I have the power to take that life back again. And three days and three nights after I lay down my life, I will rise from the dead. Now, I'm telling you, anyone could say that, but only one man could do that. If I made such a claim, you would be right to laugh at me. And if you made such a claim, I I would not believe you. But Jesus Christ said, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it again. And he did just that. I want to show you tonight seven proofs from the Bible that men did not kill Jesus Christ, but that Jesus Christ offered himself a sacrifice to his father by his own power and according to his own purposes. Look, first of all, with me at John chapter number 18. John chapter number 18. And this is the evening of Jesus' arrest. Before Pilate's judgment hall, before the mock trial, before the bruising and the beating, before the trip to Calvary, there is an arrest. And the Bible says in John 18, 1, when Jesus had spoken these words... He went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden, into which he entered, and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Let me ask you something. If you knew that bands of men had plotted to put you to death, and if you knew that a government was conspiring with these bands of men to put you to death, And if you knew that one of your disciples had betrayed you and had slipped out that night to give away your location so these men could arrest you, would you go to that place? Jesus Christ, knowing that Judas had left the upper room on his way to sell out the Lord Jesus Christ to men who wanted to take take him captive and put him to death, Jesus went to the very place that he knew Judas could lead those men to find him. That does not sound like someone seeking to avoid capture. 
That does not sound like someone trying to escape his fate. Keep reading. The Bible says in verse number three, Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? Jesus knew they came with the intent of crucifying. He did not run the other way. He did not, as so many times before, walk through the midst of them undetected. This time, Jesus walks right up face to face with the men he knows have come to arrest him and put him to death. And verse 5 says, they answered him, uh, or, or verse number 4, uh, Jesus, knowing therefore all things that should come upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. Anybody recognize that name? I am he. They went as soon then, verse 6, as soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom seek ye? (laughs) Do you, do you get the picture? Out come the soldiers marching. Out come the officers with their weapons. Out come the men with their lanterns and torches and swords and spears. And they are so bold and so confident because they have a great company of men to lay hold upon one scrawny little preacher. And he meets them. Who are you looking for? Jesus. I am. And down they go flat on their backs. Can't you just see Jesus now looking down upon that same crowd of soldiers and saying, who'd you say you were looking for? How about you? You you looking for me? How about you over there? You, You want some of me? I'm telling you, they could not have laid one hand upon Jesus Christ had he not been willing to let it happen. Those men could not have risen from the ground. They could not have stood to their feet. They could not have bound his hands. They could not have blindfolded him. He never would have stood before Pilate had he not chosen to do so. In Matthew 27, or 26, we read about Peter's proof that fishermen and swords might not be a great combination. In Matthew 26 and verse number uh, 51, behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. I've never been able to figure out how you swing a sword and get nothing but an ear, but that's, that's what happened. Then said Jesus unto him, put again thy sword into his place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father And he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. Let's do a little math. I wrote it down because I'm very, I'm very bad at math. I I don't do math well. Boys and girls, if you're good at math, enjoy it while you can. It won't be long. Somebody's going to put letters in it. The teacher would say, what is four plus A? Teacher, you got a problem. But a legion was 6,000 soldiers. Twelve legions would be 72,000 soldiers. In Isaiah 37, Sennacherib looked out and 
there was an enemy army approaching and he prayed to God for help and God sent one angel. And that one angel before breakfast killed 185,000 soldiers. If we assume that all angels are equally strong, 12 legions of angels could kill 13.3 billion men. Jesus said, all I got to do is say the word, and my father would send an army to exterminate the human race. But instead, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell Peter to put the sword away. I'm going to heal this wounded man's ear. And then I'm going to let you people stand up and arrest me and take me to trial. Why? Verse number 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus said, I did not come to escape death. I came to face it. I did not come to avoid death. I came to accomplish my death for the sins of the world on the cross at Calvary. He establishes in the garden that men are not in control of this situation. He establishes on the night of his arrest that he is the one with the power, not his enemies. Look with me in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. We have been through... Hours and hours and hours of torture. Jesus Christ was beaten with soldiers' fists. He was smitten upon his head with a, with a reed and a, and a, and a rod. He had a crown of thorns driven into his bow, brow. His, his black back was plowed like a field. They tore his beard out by the roots. They have driven nails through his hands and nails through his feet. And now he's hanging on a cross. And I have heard it told, and you have heard it told, and we've read medical doctors writing books and preachers preaching from those books about what a horrible way crucifixion is to suffer and die. And we're told, you've been told, I've been told, and I, I am not, I am not arguing this fact. They hang you by your arms, and they, and they bind your feet, And what happens is as you hang there in agony and suffering, the weight of your body begins to press down upon your body and your legs begin to fatigue and fail and you're no longer able to hold yourself up and support your weight. And then and then the weight of your torso is pressing forward and downward and it's crushing your lungs. And, and, and really what's happening is you're struggling to breathe and you're dying of suffocation and you're trying to push yourself back up to get another breath and eventually you just can't do it any longer and you you die from the horrible, painful effects of suffocating while every muscle in your body is fatigued and aching and all the nerves are firing. It's a terrible way to die. But on that middle cross is the life. On that middle cross is the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. I'm telling you, if Jesus Christ had chosen to do so, He could be hanging on that cross today as alive as he was 2,000 years ago and you could go and marvel at the man who, who men couldn't kill. How do you kill God? Look what the Bible says. Matthew 27. You say, preacher, what's your proof of that? 
Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus, Matthew 27, 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. May I say to you, a man who is dying of suffocation because the effects and the agony of crucifixion or overcoming his mortal body will say something like this just before he dies. <sighs> this man cried with a loud voice, It is finished! Meaning, he is breathing normally. Meaning, he is capable of drawing a deep breath and capable of projecting with full force and power from his lungs, across his vocal cords, out of his lips, the declaration that he had accomplished victory on the cross. I'm telling you, a man does not cry with a loud voice who is being overcome by death, especially death by crucifixion. But this man is as strong and as powerful after hours and hours and hours of hanging on that cross as he was when he first set foot in Jerusalem, riding triumphantly on that colt, the foal of an ass. Look in your Bible in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, in connection with a cry with a loud voice. John chapter 19. And when you find the place, we will consider again the crucifixion as we see it in our paintings and the crucifixion as we see it drawn for us by men who, who fully believe that Christ died for our sins. Every picture you have ever seen of any man, but especially the man Christ Jesus, dying of crucifixion, the, the posture is something like this. Because that's what happens to a human being when they're hung upon a cross. Look what the Bible says in John 19 and verse number 30. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. My friend, if he bowed his head, then his head is not hanging limp upon his chest. If he bowed his head, then his head is not flopping about because all the muscles in his shoulders and his back and his neck have given out and he has no strength remaining. If he bowed his head, then his head is upright. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12? As Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, as he endured the cross, despising the shame, he was looking ahead through time to the joy that was set before him. My friend, I know how thieves on either side are dying. I know how every man that's ever been crucified, I know how he died upon that cross. But this is not just a man. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the one who feeds all the birds every morning and all the beasts every evening. This is Almighty God. 
And he is not dying because he can't stay alive. He's dying because you can't stay alive. He's not dying because death is overcoming him. He is dying so he can overcome death. And don't you know there had to be some nervous moments as Satan, who Hebrews chapter 2 said, kept the entire human race in bondage because all he had to do was threaten us with the fear of death. And all of a sudden he's looking face to face at a man who not only is not afraid of death, but called death out and said, I will meet you at Calvary on high noon, Passover day. Death came and stood in that street. And Jesus looked death in the face and said, Whenever you're ready, draw. And death, for the first time, looked into the eyes of someone that was not afraid and was not trembling and had no doubt whatsoever as to the outcome. As Jesus hung upon that cross, you know what he's doing there? He is not only paying for your sins and mine. He is not only satisfying the, the righteous demands of a holy God that sin be paid for, but he is taking Satan's weapon out of his hand and defeating him with his own weapon. Number three, look just a little bit earlier in John 19 and verse number 28, the Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You had prayer tonight for a family that is meeting with doctors and, and hoping that doctors can help in the rescue of a, of a little baby that's in, in a really bad way. I, I took phone calls like that today. I read emails like that today. I know in your life and in my life, when I'm in distress, I'm not thinking clearly. When I'm in pain and trouble, I can think about one thing, pain and trouble. When I'm going through a really bad time, I need you to pray for me because I'm not praying so well. And when you're going through a bad time, you need us to pray for you because you're not praying so well. You, you know that's true. Pain tends to cancel out everything. Sorrow tends to cancel out everything. Let me add, let me add to that. When I was 19, 20, 25 years old, I, I would memorize portions of the Bible. And now I remember that I memorized them once, but they're not all there anymore. In fact, not much is all there anymore. Let me add something else to that. Who could stand tonight and say, I know every prophecy in the Old Testament that regards the first coming of Jesus Christ. So, not only do I not know all the prophecies, not only can I remember the things that I've learned from the Bible, but if I add to that a bad day, if I add to that some pain and suffering, forget about it. You know what that Bible says? As Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, he is not just, as if it was a light thing, suffering the angry punishment of men who hate him. 
He is not just suffering the wrath of God against sin. He is searching in his mind through the scriptures that he wrote to make sure that before he gives up the ghost and dies, he has done everything that it was prophesied he would do. And the Bible says, knowing that all things were now accomplished. In other words, let's see if I got, let's see, Judas betrayed me. I said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's the bulls of Bashan. Uh, there's the angry crowd. Uh, there's... He is going down the checklist of scripture in his mind. And did you read, did you read carefully? The Bible doesn't say he cried, I thirst because he was thirsty. He cried, I thirst that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus Christ upon the cross is so aware. He is so knowledgeable. He is so clear in his thinking. Suffering as no one ever suffered. And he comes across a prophecy that as he died, he would want for a drink. And that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said... I thirst. And when they offered him a drink, he didn't take it. Let me ask you something. Do you know what Psalm 69 prophesies about the crucifixion? Do you know what Psalm 88 prophesies about the crucifixion? Do you know what Psalm 22 prophesies about the crucifixion? Do you know what Jeremiah 16 prophesies about the crucifixion? Do you know what Lamentation 3 prophesies about the crucifixion? We're Bible-believing Christians in a Bible-preaching church with a complete Bible in our language, and we've been in Sunday school and in preaching services, some of us for decades. And we'd be hard-pressed to name ten prophecies about the crucifixion of Christ on a good day. He was beaten all night long, and he's been hanging on that cross for hours and hours and hours. He's been suffering under the wrath of his father, and he knows every prophecy. He's made certain everyone is fulfilled, and the last one that remained to be completed before he died, he just completed it. That is not a man dying. That is a man living right up until the time he chooses to stop living. That's Almighty God on that cross. Look in your Bible with me in Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23. Do you recall when Stephen died? Men were casting rocks at him and driving the life from his body as they stoned him with stones. And Stephen prayed and asked God to do something for him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. If this is my day to die or your day to die, we can ask God to receive our spirit. We cannot give orders to our spirit, nor can we give orders to God. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, Luke 23 and verse number 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. 
The Bible doesn't say, and having said thus, death took him out. The Bible doesn't say, and having said thus, he died. And having said thus, the Spirit departed from him. No, no. He said, I've done what I came to do. I finished the work my father asked me to finish. And now that it's done, let's get on to the next thing. And he dismissed his spirit from his body. He ended his life. Not Romans, not Jews, not you, not me. Not a spear, not nails, not suffocation, not loss of blood. He laid down his life for us. He had the power to do that. And he exercised that power. And three days and three nights later, he exercised that same power by resurrecting. By placing that spirit back in that body and walking out of that grave alive. That's power. That's victory. Look at John chapter 19. We'll, we'll be, we'll be uh, a couple more stops. Look at John chapter 19. And I want you to really think about, think with this one, uh, about this one with me. John 19. When I was a boy, I don't, I don't suppose they do it anymore. When I was a boy at Christmas time and Easter time, they would show movies about Jesus. And as inaccurate as those movies often were, I'm glad I grew up in a country that showed movies about Jesus, not movies about some dead prophet. But the scenes that you see in those movies stay with you, and sometimes it makes it hard for you to read the Bible properly because you remember those depictions from the movies. So if I said to you, they they tore Jesus clothes from him, and they gambled for his clothes at the foot of the cross, and and they hung him there in, in biblical nakedness, you would picture in your mind this scrawny little man that looked like he'd been doing meth for 15 years. Because that's how they picture Jesus in those movies. He's this little long-haired hippie kind of fella, and he walks around and says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you wonder how in the world he ever overturned the the money changers' tables in the temple because it looks like he couldn't even hold his wrist up the way they depict him in these movies. Now I want you to think with me for a minute. Jesus Christ is born without sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ never sinned. It's sin that causes our outer man to perish day by day. Is that not correct? So sin breaks us down. Sin wears us out. Sin causes us to have infirmities and diseases, and and we understand that. This man never sinned. There's no sin in him. You know what he does for a living till he's 30 years old? He's a carpenter. He's not driving a pickup truck to Home Depot and having someone load the lumber in the back. 
He is going to the wood, he, to the forest. Without power tools, he's cutting down trees. Without power tools, he's planing lumber. Without power tools, he's carrying those boards around the job site. He is holding those boards in place and nailing them there. I, I want to ask you something. If a man worked six 12-hour days from the age of 12, 13 to the age of 30 as a carpenter without hardware stores and vehicles and power tools, what do you think those men saw when they tore the robes off Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, they saw muscle upon muscle and strength on top of strength like man has never seen. In his prime, Schwarzenegger would have looked at Jesus Christ and said, you got to be kidding me. How does a man look like that? Now here's why I say that. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 19 verse 31 says, The Jews therefore because of the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day. <laughs> They'll, they'll have a mock trial and kill an innocent man. But they're not going to eat a pork chop. I mean, that might defile them. They'll murder someone who did more good than anyone ever done to their nation in the history of the world. But they won't set foot in a Gentile building because it might violate some law of theirs. That's religion, man. Religion will miss the truth of Jesus Christ altogether and then beat you up over some dumb rule they made up. Anyway, they besought Pilate their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. You know who's on this cross over here? A career criminal. He has spent his life in and out of horrible jails. We're not talking about air conditioning. We're not talking about plumbing. We're not talking about three meals a day. We're not talking about a weight room and a basketball court and, a, and get your degree online. We're talking about rat-infested, vermin-infested, no plumbing, no decent food. Horrible, horrible conditions. That man lived like that. In and out, in and out, in and out. Finally, so bad, the Romans said, we're, this guy, we're not feeding this guy another meal. Take him out and kill him. That guy is hanging on a cross, and when the soldiers come, He's still alive. Look at this guy over here. The, the Roman government has said, he's not even worthy to be in our jails. You think he's eating the best food? Or you think he's messed around with drugs and alcohol? You think he's, he's had the best hygiene? Or you think he's woke up in the gutter a few times? That man's still alive. The wages of sin is death, and that man on the middle cross has never sinned. It's sin that breaks down the body and drives it into the grave, and that man has done nothing his entire life but what pleased his father. 
if that guy over there is still alive and that guy over there is still alive and the man in the middle is dead, he's dead because he laid down his life. He's not dead because he couldn't handle it any longer. If that guy over there can handle it and that guy over there can handle it, I guarantee you the man in the middle would still be hanging there had he not chosen to lay down his life. You know who that is on that middle cross? It's not just a carpenter. It's not just a prophet. It's not just a great teacher. It's not just a wonderful man. It's not just Mary's son. That is almighty God. Genesis 22, 8, God shall provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And there he is. Matthew 27, Matthew 27, when the king of pop, Michael Jackson, died, there was no earthquake. When the king of rock and roll, Elvis, died, the ground shook in the in the immediate general area of the throne from which he fell, but there was no, there was no great earthquake. When Richard Petty, the NASCAR king, finally gives up the ghost, if he hadn't years ago, and they're not just propping him up to make commercials, there will be no earthquake. Kings come and go. Kings die all the time. Isaiah 6 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse number 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That didn't happen when King Solomon died. That didn't happen when any of the kings of Israel or Judah died, but it happened when this king died. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Where did the dead go? Down into the earth. But when Jesus Christ entered the lower parts of the earth, the very planet itself said, no, 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 we protest against this. This is not right. This man does not belong here. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared unto many. Your pastor will explain all that to you on Sunday. When Isaiah died, that didn't happen. When Jeremiah and Ezekiel died, that did not happen. When David and Moses and Daniel died, that did not happen. When the great John the Baptist was executed, that did not happen. When Jesus Christ died for sinners, they started coming back to life. And their graves began to open. That's no ordinary king. That's no run-of-the-mill prophet. That's not just a great teacher there. The life just conquered death. The one who knew no sin just set free those that have been kept captive by sin. Now let me tell you about a job that might be the worst job anyone's ever had. And there's some bad jobs. 
I, I told uh, Brother uh, Randy, Brother Glenn today, uh, when when things get tough around our, our place and, and we, we start wanting to grumble and complain a little bit, we just have a little saying, beats roofing. That's a bad job. Beats following the asphalt truck as they're paving the highway. That's a pretty rough job. One, one, well, let, let me, let me stop there. There's some bad jobs. There's some really bad jobs. But I, I think the worst job that a man could have would be the duty of standing at the foot of crosses as men died slow, horrible, torturous, agonizing deaths and fighting back their family and their friends to keep them from coming to help. If your heart wasn't hard as a rock, you'd lose your mind trying to work a job like that. You know how callous and how indifferent and how how full of uh, of hate or or at least beyond caring you'd have to be. How do you go home after working that job and sit down at the table with your wife and children? Wife said, "How was how was work today? Oh, pretty good. We uh, you know we we killed four of them. I only had to knock out two family members." How do you eat your sandwich after that? How do you read a bedtime story to your children after that job? You know what that man heard every single day of his life? That man went to work and he stood there and listened to men try to make deals with God and listen to men curse God and listen to men scream and cry out in pain and then listen to men weep and beg and, and plead for mercy. And that man stood at the foot of that cross. And that lamb being slaughtered on that cross never opened his mouth. He didn't try to make any deals with God. He didn't plead that he was an innocent man. He didn't say he'd been framed. He didn't scream out in pain. And that centurion, as hard as his heart had to have been, saw something that day. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Do you know why the Jews sought to kill him? Because he said he was God's Son, making himself equal with God. Do you know why the nation of Israel had so many objections to the miracle worker in their midst? Because he said that he was the Son of God, making himself equal with God. That man whose job it was to watch people die said, men don't die like that. That's not any man. That's the Son of God. You know what he saw? He didn't see weak, frail, begging, suffocating, dying humanity. He saw almighty, all-powerful, overcoming, conquering, victorious God manifest in the flesh. 
My brother, my sister, I do not want to rob you of everything you've always known and believed about the crucifixion. Most of it, I'm certain, is true. But I want to add to it this side of Calvary. Because Jesus, we have this idea. Jesus was defeated on the cross, but three days and three nights later, he won the victory. No, my friend. No. He was victorious on the cross. And three days and three nights later, He proved it by His resurrection. Jesus paid it all. Where? At Calvary. Praise the Lord. They couldn't arrest Him. They couldn't try Him. They couldn't nail Him to a cross. They couldn't put Him to death. They couldn't take His life if he didn't want it to be done. Jesus said, I have power to lay down my life. And he did. And I have power to take it again. And he did. And I say to you, my heart breaks when I think of the sufferings of Jesus Christ for my sin. That is absolutely true. But my heart rejoices when I see my Savior defeat the enemy that was going to take me to hell. Sin, death, the grave, Satan, he defeated them all. On their grounds, on his terms, when he laid down his life. Thanks be to God for his great victory at Calvary. Father, please, help us, Lord, to rejoice in the great victory and triumph of Jesus Christ over man's enemies on the cross at Calvary. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in our conquering King, Jesus Christ the Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Anna plays the piano. The altar's open. gotten a glimpse this evening of our Savior. That's what we need.